Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. This is the GM Shuffle. If I'm the general manager of the Cardinals, I'm saying next year's out. Next year, Murray's not playing. And that I'm going to get into the Mike White market. I'll get into the Jimmy Garoppolo market. I'll get into a Rena market just to be able to function as a team. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos here as we kick off another week, week 15, Michael, in the NFL. But we got to start with what happened in week 14 oh, down no, no, in the no, desert. No, no. Oh, before we where, start, where no, do you want to start? Before we start, yeah. you know, I have a lot of contacts in Las Vegas, Femi. Okay. Uh, you know, I, had, I started my job there, got a lot of friends that work there, uh-huh. and somebody said they saw you in a Tua jersey walking around <laughs> Tivoli oh. Village. Is that true? <laughs> somebody's Is that true? Somebody's do telling you, have you a lies. Tua jersey? <laughs> I do not. Somebody's telling you lies. I'm not sure what they saw or who they saw. It wasn't me. I can tell you that much. <laughs> are you sure you don't have one? I mean, no, but- are you sure? Sure, you don't have one in hey, your collection. Maybe I'll take one for Christmas. <laughs> maybe I'll take. I'm one buying you, but that's you know what you just gave. I, I know I know what to get you for Christmas. Now I know what to get you for Christmas. I I know exactly what it is. You're, you you know I mean you could it's okay you can come out and tell us it's okay we'll love you no matter what it's okay no. it's fine. There, there's no to a jersey. There's no to a ticket. Uh, we'll see what happens with Tua uh, later on Saturday, but Elliot's th- going to get to the bottom. I'm going to hire Jim Rockford to get to the bottom <laughs> of this ticket. I, I'm going to get the. It's only 200 a day plus expenses. Why not? And God rest Angel Martin Soul too, yeah. and uh, he passed away this week. Anyway, I just yeah. wanted. I mean, I got a lot of friends in that town now. I, I, I mean, I'm they're sure still there. Do. I'm sure you do. I, now the I guy know- was older. The guy was older, and he had a flip phone, so he couldn't take a picture of you. So that's why I don't have it. But uh, so you know, I'll get it. I, I'm, now I know if, if anybody weird is following me around around town, I'm like, okay, this is Michael's it's, guy. <laughs> it's Jim Rockford in a Camaro, gold one, you know? Yeah, I'll have to look out for that. But uh, it wasn't me. I can tell you that. It was not me that had the Tua jersey on here. I, I like how you just wanted to, get, you wanted to get right into the subject matter without even a little tease or any of that. Because like, I think you know that somebody saw you in that jersey and you thought I was not going to be able to know about it. You know? I know. I know. <laughs> I, I will, like I said on Twitter, I, I vehemently deny all these allegations against me. The government's denied that Lee Harvey Oswald had an accomplice. Today we're going to get a bunch of documents out that said he was with the CIA. So there's a lot of denials that mean nothing. We see this all the time. We see it all the time. I look forward to going through the due process to clear my name of any wrongdoing. <laughs> There's no, there's no Tua ticket nor jersey that I have, but uh, I guess I'll take one for Christmas. <laughs> but let's get into this episode of the pod, though, Michael, because this week in Arizona, tough yeah. week for the Cardinals organization. Started Monday night, third play of the game. Kyler Murray, who they just give the massive extension to over the offseason, tears his ACL, ending his season. Who knows when he'll come back with all the rehab process. These ACL injuries in December tend to take a little longer going into the following season. And then a couple days ago, we find out that general manager Steve Kime is going to go ahead and take a health-related leave of absence. The Cardinals' statement said Kime's duties are now being handled on an interim basis by Vice President Player Personnel Quentin Harris and VP Pro Personnel 
Adrian Wilson out of respect for privacy, which is required by law. The team will refrain from commenting further. So a tough week for the Cardinals. Let's start with the Murray injury, then we'll get into where they go with Kime and the uncertainty there with the GM spot. Well, I mean, look, it, it, you know, I watched the tape of the game and, and you know, it was the third play and it was, you know, he was trying to pivot. And as soon as he fell down, Matthew Judon saw something. I mean, it's, it's horrible for, for somebody who relies on his athleticism. It's really challenging. And this really now takes the Cardinals, Femi, in a completely different direction. Because, you know, when you tear your ACL on December the 12th, you know, at best you're hoping that you can get back 10 months, 11 months. But for somebody who relies so much on athleticism, speed, change of direction, I, I like Odell Beckham, I, I think mm-hmm. you want to err on the side of caution. Odell Beckham, I was told, was eight weeks away when he got a physical in Dallas. Eight weeks away, which would put him in the middle of February, which is kind of when he got it. It was yeah. 12 months. Yep. So we, we kind of have this sense that you can come back, but can you come back from an ACL and still be the same player? I mean, this is a double whammy for the Cardinals, who since 2022 has started, uh, it has not worked out very well. I mean, they are, you know, four and nine this year. They're, they're end up, I think they're six and 14 since, they, since the bye week when they were six and one and they played Chicago in Chicago and then their season unfolded. It, it's, really been, it's really been a tough go with 2022. You mentioned Murray and his style of play. Do you think that when he ever, whenever he comes back, and I'm sure it'll be at some point in the 2023 season, maybe maybe second half of the season or so, when he comes back, do you think that we'll see a change in how he goes about playing? And do you think he can be successful if he doesn't do the movement stuff? Uh, you know, I think so. When you when you take somebody with limitations, like say for example Bernie Kosar, who we had in Cleveland, who was a really good player who had limited athleticism and limited arm strength. And then he hurt his elbow, and that limitations that he had in arm strength really curtailed his arm, and then he had nothing. Then he went from, when you take a player who's got, say, middle-of-the-road ability, and then he gets injured, and all of a sudden now he's not the same guy. Murray has elite athletic skills, Mm -hmm. but he has middle-of-the-road quarterbacking skills from the pocket. I think we all witnessed that, right? So when he can't get out of the pocket and he can't be the runner – that he needs to be, you end up with a really below-average quarterback, which is what he was this year. I mean, he was below-average at quarterback. When he kept, when he stays in the pocket and has to see, he's a little guy playing quarterback. You know, now he had 67 rushing attempts this year. You know, he averaged 6.2. He was, you know, and so he only had 418 yards. He wasn't running as much this year as we've seen him. But when he loses that, if you're if you're the Cardinals and you're Michael Bidwell and you got this quarterback who relies so much on his movement because he's really small, you're mm-hmm. you're saying can he get it back? Now we know modern medicine has been remarkable and that sometimes guys come back from ACLs that are even better. I mean, look at Frank Gore. You know, when he came out in the yeah. draft, Frank Gore was supposed to never play because he had all these injuries. He ends up getting more injuries and still keeps playing. Right, so it's possible, but. To me, I would be very, very concerned if I were the Cardinals. Yeah, and I think the concern definitely is for next season. Uh, I doubt oh, that. We'll I, see I think Ka- you got to write off next year. Yeah. If I'm the general manager of the Cardinals, I'm saying next year's out. Next year, Murray's not playing. You would we're going to do whatever we can do, you know. And 
we'll, we'll see. Well, first of all, his contract's guaranteed because it's skill and injury, mm-hmm. so it's not going anywhere. They can't cut him. It's an injury because most of these contracts, even when they don't have the skill and injury guarantee, they always have the skill. They always have the injury guarantee. So his guarantees are in play. I mean, I would take the approach if I were the Arizona Cardinals that he's not going to play and that I'm going to get into the Mike White market. I'll get into the Jimmy Garoppolo market. I'll get into a Rena market just to be able to function as a team because the number one need on your team now, if you're the next general manager of the Cardinals, I don't know where Steve Kime is, and we'll get to that in a second, mm-hmm. but needing a quarterback is paramount. Man, that's just absolutely brutal. Uh, and, it's, and it's like you said, it's all kind of falling apart for this Cardinals team. Go, going back to the second half of last season, they give Murray the big extension. I'm sure Murray is thanking his agent, Eric Burkhardt, and that whole crew for getting him that money because can you imagine if had he not signed that big extension, what the discussion would be about Kyler Murray and his future with the Cardinals? I mean, now they're pretty much locked in because of that deal, but if he hadn't signed that deal, my goodness, this could be really something for that organization. You know, one of the things I learned a lot of things from Al Davis, but the one thing I think that I, 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 as I get older in life that I'm reminded by him that has really impacted my life is his ability to not make a decision. It used to frustrate the hell out of me when I worked for him because he really didn't want to make a decision. But sometimes, you know, like when Gruden was – so if you go back to the Gruden situation, we lose the tuck game. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of conversation about Gruden – going to Ohio State, that job had opened up. And Ohio State was – every job that opened up for Gruden when he was at the Raiders was a homecoming job. Oh, it's, you know, yeah. I grew up there. I want to go back there. You know, okay. <laughs> so Al let it play out. Never said a word. You know, and you could tell that Gruden was trying to get out and he was trying to remove himself even though the punter was trying to extend his contract. And so by waiting, he, Al falls into this draft where the Bucks decide to make the trade. And the patience paid off. And I think the lesson on the Cardinals is simply if they would have just been patient and had the guts to say to Murray, look, Kyler, you're a good player, but you're at year three of your contract. Let's get through year four, see where we are. We're not going to do a contract for you until we get through the fourth year, until we decide if we're going to pick up the fifth year. Like that makes sense because there was nothing in Murray's play, and we said it at the time, that indicated that he was a top-five player. Like, I would do Justin Herbert's contract today because he's a top-five player. I wouldn't do Tua's contract today. I wouldn't have done Murray's contract today. I'll do respect to you with Tua. I know that probably pains you when I say it. <laughs> but I wouldn't have done that. And I think to us, sometimes no decision ends up being a better decision. And this is one of those reasons why players like to get that money as soon as possible because of injury risk. And they said, hey, like, Kyler, I'm sure he saw his own game and, like, I – I'm a movement kind of guy. I'm susceptible well, to injuries. I need to get my money. Well, let me ask you a question. Okay, if you're Lamar Jackson and you're watching Monday Night Football at home mm-hmm. and you've got an MCL sprain or a PCL sprain and you just see this on the screen, what do you think you're saying to yourself? i got to get my money as soon as possible. Yeah, do I come back? Do I play? I mean, yeah. it's just human nature. I don't think you could sit there and say, go win one for the Gipper, Lamar. Like, we're talking, we're talking about serious cash here. We're talking about serious cash. We're talking about 250 a, a, a quarter of a billion dollars. Do you risk this? I mean, look, I, I don't know about you, but I don't hold any of the kids who don't play in these bowl games other than the national championship games. 
other than those other than those two games, mm-hmm. any kid who opts out for me as an executive in the league, I'm saying, okay, I get it. Like I know that the the bag of, of Nike gear or the Adidas gear or the Under Armour gear is great. The watch is wonderful. You know, you get the tour, of the Grand Old Opry, that's great too. But mm-hmm. I get it. Like we're talking serious cash here. This the business has changed. I, I mean, if you're Lamar watching that game, what's your reaction? I mean, I think you got to be real. And, and nobody and Lamar's mom is his agent, so mm-hmm. you know what her reaction is. It's all about risk assessment, and especially for these guys who use their legs as part of their game there. And if you're Lamar, yeah, it's like probably you don't want to come back until you're 100% healthy because, knock on wood, if you were to worsen that knee injury, it could get real bad for you in terms of the future yeah. I mean, there of what he I, could get. I, I was talking to a coach on Monday night, uh, and we were talking about the league, a former NFL coach, and we were talking about the league, and he kept saying to me, look, all these guys, and this is before Murray's injuries, all these guys – that are running around like they're running around are not going to be able to hold up. And he loves Josh Allen, but it's like he's one hit away from really doing it. And we were discussing the six-back offense and the single wing and how the single wing is really kind of more prevalent now than ever. And, you know, and I think that the part of still is, even though we are from an older school, mm-hmm. he and I, that we think the quarterback – I think it's still got a weigh on you. And when you watch the Monday night game with a really not even getting hit, he tears his ACL. It's horrible. And he knew it the minute he saw it. Yeah. When you watch it on the tape, you know, Judon signaled over. He knew it. Jude, he, you know, he knew it. It's just yeah. horrible. It's really tough. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that I've been thinking about and almost from a team-building standpoint, if we would see organizations be like, all right, we're going to draft and commit to the six-back offense – but we know that this is an eight-year run at the most. Because I always yeah. think about Cam Newton with the Carolina Panthers and how they used him. And Cam Newton ends up being the MVP, leads them to a Super Bowl and all that. But then it just goes off of a cliff just because yeah. of the amount of hits that he took running the football and standing in the pocket and doing all those sorts of things. I mean, nobody was. I mean, Cam's a, big, a huge man. I mean, when you stand yeah. next to Cam Newton, you're like, holy shit, he's this a, is a man. He's a big dude. I mean, you're like, whoa. Right. I agree. You know, to me, if I were deciding to go down the six back attack, like if I were Philadelphia, I mean, I know they're going to have to pay Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think and I'm going to write about this sooner than later about how the Eagles, I believe, really have through their alignment and through their ability to develop talent and through their visionary skills, they've created this team that is far and above better than most teams in the league that that they got to draft somebody else just like Hurts. Like they got to draft somebody else just like Hurts because you're going to need two of them. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's really fascinating because we've all known, like, hey, the pocket passers, those are the guys that stay in the pocket and play long. And the, the offenses that are having a lot of success are these six-back attacks, but it might not be long for those quarterbacks that are behind center in that offense. But, Michael, on the GM side for the Cardinals, Steve Keim, we talked about it taking the health-related leave of absence. I mean, what does this do for an organization here? Keim has been there for quite some time. Uh, working closely with Michael Bidwell, the owner, and we don't know what the extent of what's going on there. Hopefully he's doing well. We send our condolences to him and his family, but uh, this has got to be another kind of just tumultuous kind of circumstances that are going on out there in the desert. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough story, right? A personal story. You want Kime to get healthy. You want whatever's going on in his life. You know, he canceled his Friday radio show because he wasn't feeling well, and now this. So you hope that he's going to be fine and recover. It's a tough business. I mean, the stress of this business can yeah. get to you. 
you know, and it's very challenging. And, you know, Michael Bidwell has a lot of decisions to make. Like I mentioned, you know, they have not been very good. And the other night they proved how inept they are. I mean, the offensive line is a disaster. I mean, New England's not even, you know, they're playing the game. And if New England, you know, Colt McCoy can move the ball, but New England just rushes four, run game, runs games, and the game's over. You know, the game's over because they can't protect them and they turn the ball over. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done in Arizona. And, I, you know, whether it's Adrian Wilson or whomever they promote, you better have some experience to understand what you're getting into here because this is not going to be one of those where we're just a left tackle away from being a good team. This is going to take a lot of skill, whether you fire the coach or not. Who do you hire? How do you replace it? Where are you going? Where we want to build? You know, there's no alignment there. And who's going to create the alignment? It's, it's going to be challenging, and Michael Bidwell has to answer those questions. It's really fascinating from a Kingsbury standpoint because – Kingsbury, Kyler, and Kime, those guys have all been extended throughout this past offseason. Yeah. And I, now I, with Kime maybe stepping away, does that create uncertainty at the head coaching spot here? I keep thinking, though, sometimes, Femi, these extensions are kind of – they're announced as full extensions, but they could have options in it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like in, in, in television, you know, when you do a TV contract, you sign a two-year and the two-year option deal, right? Yeah. You know, when Bill Callahan signed a contract at the Raiders to become the head coach, Al gave him two years with two years of an option. Not kind of fair, right? You know, and and so, and then in the second year when we didn't, we went to the Super Bowl year one, he didn't pick up the last two years of the option, which really destroyed our season that year. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I have a sense, to me, unless Bidwell just did it, I have a sense that, that some, maybe these aren't buttoned up I mean, I know Murray's is buttoned up, but maybe mm. Kime and and, uh, and Cliff. Cliff aren't buttoned up as much as we all are led to believe they are. It, That's be, just a guess on my part because yeah. it really makes no sense to hand out that much cash to this organization when they really weren't doing well. When you examine them after that bye week and you realize they're 6-14 and 14 from that point on, why are we giving out extensions? We're trending in the wrong direction. And I'm sure in Michael Bidwell's defense there, because we talk a lot about the good organizations in the NFL and how they have continuity, he was probably thirsting for continuity. But sometimes if something isn't quite working out or you're not meeting expectations, you can't just extend people for the, for the sake of extending people and getting good news out there. I think that's something yeah, I that mean, they look, need to look at look, if you're going well. in the wrong direction, continuity doesn't do you any good. Exactly. You know? Yeah. If, we're, if, you know if you're going in the wrong direction, I mean, that's the question the Texans are going to have to ask themselves. Do we stay with a coach after one year because we're going in the wrong direction? You know, I mean, where are we headed? I mean, that leads into the next conversation to me, which Mm -hmm. is where are we going with, you know, Jeff Saturday wants to be the next head coach, and maybe that's great for continuity. We'll see. That is the interesting thing about the Indianapolis Colts because Saturday he's been 1-3 in as the interim head coach, and he says that legitimately he wants to be – someone that is thought of as a head coach. We have a clip from Jeff Saturday asked, asked about it at a press conference earlier this week here about potentially interviewing for the head coaching job at the end of the season. 
Sure. Yeah. You're gonna plan on interviewing for absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I plan on interviewing as long as they, you know, give me the interview. I'm, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, but, but yeah. No, I'm. I, I enjoy the heck out of this and have had a lot of fun doing it. And again, I'm not discouraged at all. I know I have a vision of what this could look like in the future. Uh, plan to work that way, and and that's what I do every day is work towards that goal, understanding what that looks like. Man, I would love to see what that looks like. I would love to see what that looks like. Like, how would he know what that looks like? Seriously, I don't mean to be an asshole here, but how would he even know what that looks like? Like, who has ever taught him how to build? Like, there is so much. There is so much difference between team building and understanding the art of team building and understanding how to get collaborative efforts from people. Like, you know, it's it's one thing to sit there and say I have this vision. The NFL is the hardest job in sports. To get everybody on the same page. To get everybody on the same page is the hardest thing to do. To get total alignment. To get player development from your coaches. To be able to understand that this is how we have to function. To install a player development program. To install a a, a system of offense and defense that is married to your grading system. That is married to the player development. this This is really hard. And, and I'm not, and I, and I failed at it many times because if you don't have the authority or you don't have everybody on the same page, it's damn near impossible. And to create that alignment, and so what he's talking about is like it looks, it might look great on paper, but how are we going to get it done? How are you going to make sure the line coach is developing talent? How are you going to make sure the backup line coach is developing the backup talent? How are you going to make sure there's symmetry between who we develop and who we don't develop? How are we going to make sure that we understand what the team needs are of the team and how do we fix them? How can we make the quarterback play better? How do we build a team inside a dome that can function and play well outside? How do we marry our grading system to the team we want to become? I mean, this, is, this, takes, time, this takes experience. It really does. I mean, we're seeing a lot of guys become general managers in the league that really are just scouts that have scouted players and they see player, okay, well, I like that guy. Well, the art of building a team requires a lot of things to work together, and it requires complete alignment. I think one of the things that, that Howie Roseman has benefited from is Jeff Lurie has devoted and, and loyal to him. So through all the bumps and bruises that have gone on, mm-hmm. Lurie has been able to maintain continuity. And through their philosophical nature within their organization, going back to when he bought the team, that they value offense and defensive linemen and player development, they've been able to keep that within the framework. So, I, I mean, he can do all the interviewing he wants. I would love to sit in on it. And I'm sure what Jeff Saturday is telling Jim Ursay and what Ursay told us was that Saturday's experience was playing for Tony Dungy and being a player under the Bill Polian regime when he was a general manager there. But you've outlined that the playing experience and being in a good organization is still much different than actually being in those meetings, those personnel meetings and those team building meetings from a front office perspective. No doubt. And I think to me, the biggest problem, the hurdle he's going to have to understand is, can he walk into a room and show people that he knows what he's doing? Because everyone's a critic. Look at those sidelines. They're filled with people. They're filled with it. The, the, the NFL has grown so big mm-hmm. that no one sat down and said, you know, we can't manage all these people. I mean, every time Bill and I go to Alabama and we, we go to watch, and Nick's amazing how he does it, but he's got a zillion people. I mean, his staff meeting has to be in an auditorium that's so big. 
Like we look at each other and say, how the hell can he manage all these people? Well, that's the problem in the NFL. You have way too many people. You know, when you had five or six guys on the staff, you, you had a better way of getting everybody in alignment. When you've got this growth, like the Roman Empire, you know, you can't really not, you can't fix it. And then he's got to be the guy that solves all the problem. I mean, when you're the head coach of the team and you want to interview for it, you've got to be the chief figure-out officer. You've got to be able to say, okay, here's what I want to do. Here's how we're going to develop this. Here's where we are. This guy's a year away from being a good player. This guy's not. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, I've learned from Tony and I learned from Bill Polian, but do you really know how they did it? Do you understand it? To me, I, 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 this, is, this is comical. Look, you know, he's got Minnesota, he's got the Chargers, he's got the Giants, and he's got Houston left on the schedule. Mm-hmm. I would say to you, has he made the team better since he's taken over? Uh, he has not. It's that simple. He has not. Uh, last thing, Michael, that I wanted to bounce off of you here before we take our first break Von Miller, who unfortunately is out for the remainder of the season with a torn ACL, he's got his podcast because a lot of these guys have their podcasts like us. They want to be able to give their takes on the game and all that stuff. And he had Micah Parsons this week on his podcast. And this is just adding a little bit of, you know, a little gasoline to the Eagles Cowboys fire that's brewing. And we'll see it coming up on Christmas Eve next week. But they were talking about Jalen Hurts. And Micah Parsons asked, he said, when you look at the Eagles, is it Hurts or the team when discussing Hurts and his MVP candidacy? And Von Miller responded. He said, I think it's a little bit of both, man. Parsons said, it's system and team emphatically is what Michael Parsons said. The Eagles clearly heard that. Jordan Mailata, the left tackle for Jalen Hurts, said, quote, I'm going to worry about the Chicago Bears this week, mate. Worry about this game. Micah should worry about his game this week, too. I don't know who the F they're playing. Pardon my language. Just worry about who you got this week is what Mailata said. What do you make of those comments there? And also, do you agree with Micah Parsons that it's more team and system versus what Hertz is doing on the field? I think it's the ultimate compliment what Micah Parsons said. I think that every player has to be in the right system. I think it's the ultimate compliment. I, don't, I didn't take it as a negative. I took it as a positive. To me, as a scout, when you're on the road and you're scouting a player and you say to yourself, man, that guy would really fit for X team then that team, that X team, has really been able to show you who they are, and you can filter to it. And the Eagles have done a wonderful job of marrying the player's talent, Hurts, mm-hmm. to a scheme. I don't know if they thought it was going to get there. I don't know when they drafted him if that was the plan. But through the evolution, through the, through the trial and error, they've gotten somewhere where it's really worthwhile. And through the kids' work habits, they've gotten there. So I, I, I think Makai Parsons, I think he was trying to do it as a I – mean, to me, it's the ultimate compliment. Most teams wish they had this ability to develop talent, to build a system around the player. I mean, this is, to me, the tribute to the Eagles and Jeff Laurie and Roseman, what they've been able to accomplish in getting everybody on the same page – having this offensive line that is really one of the best in the league play at a high level, the defensive line play at a high level, and then all these other pieces fit. I, I mean, I think it was the ultimate compliment. I don't Look, I, I don't know why Hertz would take it as a negative when, he's, when people say he's a system player. Well, we're all system players. Look, I'm a <laughs> shitty scout in some other system. When I work for, the Patri- or for Bill, I'm a pretty good scout. I know the system. What, what's wrong with that? Yeah, his Hertz's teammates took it as a slight. Jordan Mailata, Elaine Johnson, I believe, was posting on social media as well, saying like, pretty much, I mean, we'll see you guys Femi, down the line. 
<laughs> if this if he tried to run if if Hertz tried to become a West Coast quarterback under center mm-hmm. rhythm thrower five step drop read out to the slot like that would not work. So why would you do that? Why would you do that? It makes no sense, right? So when he when he came out, the problem is most of the problem with quarterbacks are I think in Baltimore's case specifically is they mm-hmm. can't figure out what offense that marries the system to to get the player. I mean. The scheme for Lamar is horrible. They've never married the scheme to the player. I mean, Lamar wishes that he was playing in the same system and scheme. That's the challenge of a head coach or or a general manager is to figure out, if we draft this kid, here's what we got to do. Here's how we've got to play it. The Eagles have had a plan for Jalen Hurts, and that plan has worked out really well. Uh, Real quick, Michael Hurts, is he the MVP? You know, I think he is. I really do. I think he's the MVP. I, I think he is the – he has generated this incredible offensive performance, which they often offset with their defense, and they are a very good team, and he leads it. You know, seven rushes for 77 yards. I mean, he's throwing the deep ball really well. Look, do I think he reads and anticipate great? No, I'm not saying he does. But in, in the way they utilize his skill set – he has proven to be the best player in the league so far this year. All right, let's take our first break. On the other side, we'll get to Thursday Night Football, and it's a doozy, the NFC West clash between the Niners and the Seahawks. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, Michael, Thursday Night Football tonight in my old neck of the woods, the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle Seahawks hosting the San Francisco 49ers over at our show sponsor, DraftKings, the Niners, three and a half point favorites with a total of 43. How do you see this game playing out? Well, you know, the first time they played, Femi, this was with the Trey Lance game where Trey Lance got hurt, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and the Niners, they threw the ball 24 times in the game. They ran it successfully against them. They were able to run for 189 yards. They only threw for 184. So, And Geno Smith wasn't horrible. They turned the ball over three times. The, the defense dominated. And we all said after week two, well, that was the real Geno. That's who we've seen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I, I think Seattle defensively hasn't been very good. They're simple. They're not complex. They're trying to rely on their execution of, their, of the defense. They're trying to rely on somehow creating turnovers, and they haven't been able to do it. 
you know, Seattle um, last week, Carolina ran the ball down their throat. And, and it's hard to run the ball up there, right? As you know, that's a, that's a crowded – it's a loud stadium. But, mm-hmm. you know, the last three weeks, the last three weeks, the Raiders ran there for 283. Okay, they went and played the Rams. They won the Rams, who can't run the ball, ran for 171. And then Carolina, back up there, runs for, runs for 223. So if they don't stop the run against San Francisco, I think Brock Purdy's going to throw the ball 16 times and win the game. And they're going to have to protect, and Geno's going to have to play his best game of the year. I mean, I think the Niners, based on my numbers and game codes, I think they've improved every single week as the years went on. There will be no Debo Samuel for the 49ers. Debo Samuel suffering that ankle injury in the win over the Buccaneers this past Sunday. They think that he should be able to come back by the end of the regular season, if not maybe in the postseason. Uh, This is a game where the Niners, if they win it, they win the NFC West. So they have that going for them. They can clinch the division with a victory tonight. But, Michael, I think this is going to be kind of a last-stand performance from the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks are going to be really competitive in this game, having covered that team, grew up in that area. These primetime games, especially under head coach Pete Carroll, that atmosphere is off the charts, and he gets these guys up for these types of games. This is going to be a hard game for the Niners. In fact, Michael, I went ahead and bet Seattle. I took the three-and-a-half, and and I also bet him on the money line. I bet Seattle on the money line. I think the Seahawks win the game. Brock God, Purdy. I love it. Brock Purdy's making his first road start, and he's making his first road start in one of the most hostile environments in the NFL. I think the Seahawks start fast. They make things uncomfortable for Purdy. He's going to have to play from behind, and I think Seattle uses that crowd. They feed off of that energy, and they get a big-time win at home. But I think the Niners still win the division, but I think the Seahawks push it off to another week there and get the upset win. When you get t-shirt and hat games, man, that's, that changes everything, right? Yeah. You know, when you get a t-shirt and hat game, and look, I, I don't disagree with you. Thursday night football games are so unpredictable, you can't really, you can't go by conventional wisdom. But to me, you know, I don't know if Purdy's going to play in the game. I mean, last week, Sam Darnold didn't play in the game. The longest play that Carolina had was a 24-yard run by Darnold. They threw for 105 yards. I mean, you know, so it's not like... They can they they they're going to ask him to do a lot up there. I think they're going to try to run the football, and it's hard to get ahead of San Francisco the way they play mm-hmm. defense. It really is. So I, I'm with you though. I think the unpredictability. I I never recommend a Thursday night game. I, I stay away from it because the short week, the unpredictability. But I I think the Niners have to go in there and try to win this game running, they can't let Purdy participate too much in the game because if he turns it over, that's the only way Seattle's going to beat him. Yeah. We have not seen Purdy play from behind. If the Seahawks can get that lead, maybe they can make him uncomfortable. But like you mentioned, if the Niners are able to just run the football and have Purdy not really be a participant, then likely San Francisco wins and then wins the NFC West. All right, Michael, we'll take another break on the other side. We'll get to something that you have been thinking about, NFL passing games here in this 2022 season. This is the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. All right, Michael, one of the things that's really been interesting this NFL season is that scoring has been down. That's been documented. We've seen in the betting market totals regularly now in the mid to low 40s. The passing game doesn't feel like it's been as prolific as it has been over the past five years. And we were discussing this earlier during the week here and some of these numbers about how pass attempts per game, that's down. Average depth of target, that's down. What do you attribute this kind of decline in the passing game that we've seen this season? Yeah, a friend of mine, Ryan, sent me these numbers. He kind of like goes through the league and and statistically and kind of asked the question. You know, listens to the GM shuffle. He's been a great resource for me. And, you know, like, why are we, you know, why are pass attempts down 
from 35.7 in 2016 to the lowest since 2009 at 33.5. And I think a lot of this is, you know, people are playing way more nickel. The fronts are lighter. The defensive front. I mean, football is a game of numbers, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you have six in the box and I have six that can block six, I can run the ball. When you have, you know, seven in the box and I only have six to block, you know, then I got to throw it. You know, it's a, it's it's as simple as the ridiculous argument that Pete Carroll has to endure from the national media that he should have thrown, he should have run Marshawn Lynch, right, in that game. Oh, you should have run Marshawn Lynch. You know, all the geniuses say that, right? You know, well, if you count, if anybody can count, and my grandson Dominic can, he would have known that there was no way that they could have blocked everybody, right? That that the advantage was to throw it at that point. And so a lot of this is related to how you playing me. You know, and then sometimes who's in the box, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're playing Buffalo and Milano's in there and, you know, they got another small linebacker in there, well, even though they got six, they're really so small, we got to run them out of it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's cause and effect, right? And I think a lot of the reason the depth of the target is, you know, at eight, there used to be the depth of the target was at nine yards and 12. This is the lowest at 8.1 since 2006. Wow. A lot of it is because – you, the teams can't hold on to the ball very long. The offensive line stink. They want a rhythm bat passing game. And the RPO. Like, people are trying to read off the RPO, throw the throw it quicker, get it out of our hands, try to do all that. So, you know, I, I think to me this is kind of more along the way of, of how the game is evolving, how defense are adjusting to the RPO game and trying to figure out the best way. I think we're going to continue to see more runs. I think we're going to see more more single-wing offenses mm-hmm. as the quarterbacks from college become more single-wing quarterbacks. Like, What are you going to do with Anthony Richardson if you draft him? I love Anthony Richardson. I think he's the most talented. I think he's so talented. It's I think he should have stayed talent. in school a year, right? Like, this, It's ridiculous that he came out of school. I'm a huge fan of his. But for him to come out, he's going to have to redshirt. It's going to take time. I don't know if it will ever work. But, but whoever drafts him has to figure out, like, this is the offense we're going to run with him. And a lot of it's going to be his skill as a runner. And I think that's why you see some of these numbers change. You know, it's interesting because I feel like in the passing game, we're starting to see, and one of the reasons why that depth of target is down, we're starting to see more of those screens. And and we've seen screens for all throughout football, but it feels like it's more of those smoke screens out to wide receivers getting the ball in their hand, almost an extension of the run game, of like this quick right. passing game, because teams can't line it up and run the football. They, they, they don't have the personnel to do that, whether they don't have the fullbacks or the offensive line. But it's line numbers too, though, Femi. It's numbers too. If you're out there and there's only two guys out there and you can block one of the – and one of the guys is played off and you mm-hmm. block the first guy and all it takes is us to miss a guy, it's all numbers. You know, the numbers are in our favor. Let's take advantage of it. Or we got an edge out there, you know, or they're blitzing off the corner. You know, I mean, New England, when they, they – when the Jones kid scored the touchdown. They blitzed yep. off the slot corner, and he throws it out there, and he takes it to the house. I mean, a lot of it is, hey, get the ball out and get you know yards after the catch. That's the critical. That's what makes San Francisco so dangerous as an offense is because they have a bunch of players that can take short passes and make them longer gains. I think the thing that's missing in the league is offensive coordinators are really lacking in how to – like, like when you watch Kyle Shanahan's offense, his ability – to create the mismatch based on how he runs the football is really brilliant. He gets it from his father. His father was brilliant at it, right? His father understood how to design a running game, and he taught it to his son. And Kyle's really good at that. And there's not a lot of – Arthur Smith is really good at this too. Mm -hmm. 
Like, there's a reason why some teams are good at running the football, and it isn't because they can block better. Would you put Mike McDaniel in that class, the Dolphins head coach? Because a lot of people, well, the media tells me that. that. You're, yeah. You tell me. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you went right to it. But you know, he goes out there to play Baltimore. He goes out there to play the Chargers, and you know, and they average, they give up five point five yards per carry, and he out there trying to throw it. Yeah. I think to me, and I didn't say this on Monday, and I after the podcast on Monday, I was pissed at myself. I think a lot of what McDaniel tried to do there was organizational. I think they wanted to go out there and prove to the world and prove to the Chargers and prove to everybody that Tua is better than Herbert. I think that's really was their motivation. I think there was something beyond setting up the game. So for them to come out and throw it as much as they did against a team that can't run it, that can't play the run, to me that was ego-driven. We're going to prove to you. We're going to prove that we were right about Tua. We're going to prove to you we're right. And in improving, they proved themselves wrong. If that's what they were doing, my God, that's terrible. I mean, it's the only explanation for it. I mean, McDaniel gets hired as this offensive guru run ball. I mean, do you realize they haven't run the ball very – I mean, they've. I think they have two games of rushing of over 100 yards on the, on the year. I mean, I think they – I mean, I, I don't think they've tried to run the – they haven't run the ball. They have, th- they have four games. They ran for 137 against the Jets in a win. They ran for 111 against Pittsburgh. They ran for 107 against Detroit, and they ran for 195 against Cleveland, and they won that game. Mm-hmm. Other than that, they've been below 100. I mean, they've been they've been at 33 against San Francisco, 41 against Buffalo, 65 against. I mean, they've made a conscious effort to highlight Tua. Okay, great, but when you're playing against one of the worst run defenses in all of football, why would you want to highlight them? So now you end up with 219 total yards especially a run defense in the Chargers that's inviting you to run the football. That's Brandon Saley's whole scheme. He built that defense back to front instead of front to back like we typically see there. Like The secondary is where they're highlighted with all their talented players. <laughs> the fact that they were throwing into that, that that's just baffles my mind. It's like The goal should be to win the game. It shouldn't be to highlight one player or whatever. Uh, I think it, I was, I think it, was, it was self-indulgent. I really do. I think they were trying to prove a big – I really think they were trying to prove something. Or else it makes no well, – how would you set up a game plan and you're playing the Chargers and you're saying, okay, let's throw it. Like if we just – if we no control sense. the clock, run the ball, we're going to win the game. So you talk about the run game and these teams that are able to devise these things. How do you think that translates to the playoffs? Because we're four weeks away from the postseason here. Which types of teams are checking off these boxes to where you feel good about them come January that, okay, these teams can win either way. Whether if you ask them to pass the ball, they can win. Or if you ask them to run the football and when the weather gets bad, they can also win and be efficient in that matter. Well, I think Philly has proven they can do that, right? I think Kansas City proves they can do it. I, 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 do, I think Buffalo has been inconsistent proving that. I think Dallas could do that. I think they could. You know, D- Dak's got to protect the football better. There's no mm-hmm. denying that. You know, uh, I think that Minnesota, I don't know if they've proven that yet. I don't think they're at that level. You know, San Francisco can throw it or run it. I mean, and look, San Francisco's defense can stop you. So, mm-hmm. you know, and Cincinnati can throw it or run it. I would say those six teams have a chance to do that. I think some of the other ones, Baltimore can't throw it. We've seen this before, right? We've seen this happen. They can't throw it. They can't throw it consistently. Tennessee, if they get in the game, they get behind, they can't win. I mean, so it's really going to come down to, but I would say this, if I were a young coach, I would spend a lot of time understanding how to run the football, how to set up a run game and study it. 
Do you think Ben Johnson of the of the Lions, the offensive coordinator there, do you think he's one of those coaches that's doing that, or is it just he has a good personnel there on that offensive line? You know, I I think when I watch them, I think he he gets it. I think there's certainly there's a there's a there's a fundamental belief from their head coach that we've got to run the ball. You know, he's been you know Campbell been around Parcells, yeah. So I think he understands that you got to have balance. You can't go to a game and throw it fifty times. So I do think that they get that, and I, and I think the way their offensive line plays. You know, it gives them a chance. I mean, look, they ran for 160 against the Giants. You know, they only threw for, against the Giants. They only threw for 165 yards. I mean, they didn't throw. I mean, they, and they won that game going away, 31-18. Last week they threw for they ran for 134. You know, the Buffalo game they only ran for 96 yards. They turned it over twice in that game. But I do think that they have the ability to run the ball, and Swift makes them really dangerous. Yeah, we talked about the Lions when we were doing the blue chip on the offensive line, blue chip red chip series this summer and people are like whoa why, why do the lions have so many of these guys in there on the offensive line we're starting to see it this season with what they've been doing on that offense all right michael let's take our final break we'll get to sunday or saturday and sunday slate Love when it. we will come <laughs> all right michael let's get to saturday and sunday slate here wow. in week 15 man we got a lot of football this I weekend it. it's gonna be awesome I love it. <laughs> Triple header. I love Saturday games. I love it. I, I, I love sitting my fat ass on a couch for eight hours. And, and doing it again the next it, day. You know? Yeah, I mean, they get to do it again the next day. Millie's cooking. I don't have to worry about anything. I just sit there. Bella's bothering the shit out of me to take her out every 20 minutes. Yeah, I even enjoy that. I mean, God, I love it. I, I wonder, NFL Network's doing all the games. Mm-hmm. Are they? Do, are they? Is their talent doing all the broadcasts? I, I mean, I, I'm not I, sure. I have to have the sound on because Millie's going to be watching. But who is the? who are the announcers for the games? I'm not sure who's calling the games. I mean, I'm going to look that up right now. Yeah, we'll have to figure out who's calling these games because, yeah, it's a triple header on NFL Network. It starts at 10 a.m., so get the holiday shopping out of the way no, if you got to do it. Like, it starts <laughs> right after the Lombardi line. We, we go to 12 here on the East Coast, and yeah. so, you know, we'll get you set up for it. Patrick and I will watch it, you know? and uh, No, it's going to be a lot of fun, though. It starts off bright and early for us out here on the West Coast, 10 o'clock, 1 o'clock Eastern, uh, the Colts and the Vikings, Minnesota four-point favorites, total at 48. It appears that they're going to get Christian Derrissaw, the left tackle back, and also Garrett Bradbury, their center. So the offensive line should be intact for this game against Indy. All right, so I got it for you. All you right, do? so in that game when we get Derrissaw back and we get the witness, we get the witness uh, uh, Jeff Saturday's coaching vernacular, we yep. get Noah Eagle. I don't know even know who that's, Noah Eagle is. That's Nate Ian Eagle's does, son. Oh, is it really? God yeah. bless him. That's awesome. Yeah. And then we get Rich Eisen and Kurt Warner for the second one. Okay. And then we get Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez for the third one. All right. There we go. Interesting. It's, 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 I'll have the sound on because I have to. I have to have the sound yeah, on. because yeah. Millie wants to No, listen. actually, I won't have the sound on because Millie has to go to the airport on Saturday till she probably won't be. So at least two of the games I won't have sound on. So that would be good. Okay. Well, <laughs> there you go. But what do you make of the game between the Colts and the Vikings? You know, my instincts tell me to take Minnesota again here because I, I think when I ran my number, I mean Indianapolis is really bad. I I have this game and I have this game as a uh, I I this is one of the games that's off my chart in terms mm-hmm. of I think Minnesota should be favored by almost nine points and you know the line's three and a half because my power ranking for Indianapolis is so low and that's not that's not from my dislike of the head coach or the lack mm-hmm. of credibility with the head coach, should I say. It's really from their numbers. I mean, when you break down the Colts, they have one area where they're in the top 12. The 19 areas that I go over, 
and they're 11 in the bottom of of the of the 19. Meanwhile, Minnesota's good in, in you know Minnesota's not elite, but Minnesota's good in you know they're 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 in the top seven and four. They're in the top 12 and seven. You know, and they've got some. They've got and they're not in any of the bottom 32 categories. They're not in the bottom third. Now they're close, but they're not in the bottom third. So. I think Minnesota will will be able to move the ball. I think they've got to protect him, which they do. They're tough to play at home. They got to play better defense. I mean, Matt Ryan's prone to turn the ball over, and if the Colts can't protect, now I think that's the area where I'm disappointed in in, in the Vikings is they haven't been able to get any pass rush. Yeah, and that Colts offensive line is not good. So if they can't get home against them, uh, it's not going to bode well for what happens in January here. Uh, that's it. I think game's a no bet for me i just pass it I'm, i think the vikings win but i don't want to get involved with that game ravens and the browns cleveland three point favorites total 37 now tyler huntley has practiced in two of the practices this week he's still in the concussion protocol but there's a chance he could clear it by saturday and start this game here but uh whether it's huntley or anthony brown what do you make of this uh, ravens team as a three-point underdog against the browns I think I take the Brownies in the point. I mean, I take the Ravens. I mean, look, mm-hmm. they play great run defense, right? They're really good at playing run defense. It's hard to run the ball on them, and that's what Cleveland wants to do. And Baltimore Huntley will make enough plays in the game, and unless Watson plays outside of himself, I mean, the over the under total is thirty-seven. Think how low scoring that is. Yeah. Anytime you're going to give me the Ravens and three points along with with just Jason, with Justin Tucker, I'll take it. I, I think to me, I think that has the best chance. I mean, I don't see the – to me, the Browns, they make way too many mistakes in terms of fundamental game management. They have a great opening drive, and then they don't do much for the rest of the game. And I haven't been impressed with Watson at all. He's going to have to throw the ball. Can they throw the ball against Baltimore? I don't think so. I think this is kind of a, a, a line that has kind of – should, why should Cleveland be favored against Baltimore? Just because Huntley's playing? I just I would not be able to lay points with Deshaun Watson just the way that he's been playing so far this season. If he's an underdog, maybe I could talk myself into getting involved, but I can't bet this game right now at the current numbers. The Saturday night game, I know you'll be watching this one very closely. As you'll have your I. jersey on, <laughs> I'm gonna get you. I gotta meet your girlfriend, so she'll take a picture of me with that jersey gotta, on. I can see you sitting shipping. on the couch eating popcorn. You know. I could see that. I could see you eating popcorn, doing that with your jersey. Yeah, Come got, on, Tua. Let's go. Got crumbs all over my Tua jersey. Yeah, got crumbs all over you. <laughs> the Dolphins are seven-point underdogs. This is ticked down a little bit. It was seven and a half earlier. Now it's seven, total 43 and a half. Uh, what do you think happens? Lake effect snow, potentially, so there could be some wind I, I mean, I, and some I inclement had this weather. A, I had this as an 8.47 game. Look. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I think if there's any moisture in the air, if that lake effect or if it's rain, I think it's going to affect Tua throwing the football. I think mm-hmm. if there's wind, it's going to affect Tua throwing the ball. You know, and I think McDermott will do a good job of duplicating the the Brendan Staley pack the middle of the field. And I think a lot of this game is going to come down to what does the weather look like. I'm surprised it's ticking this way. I thought it would tick up to eight. I have this mm-hmm. as an 8.47 game. I mean, think about it. The Jets are in there. The Jets are in there last week. And the Jets are a 10-point dog. Miami's in there with a quarterback that we know. Forget about what we think about. I mean, we know he's going to struggle to throw the ball. He doesn't throw it with great velocity into the wind. And they're only a 7-point dog. They're only only getting 7. I think the line's wrong. I agree with you. Uh, honestly, I, I'm, I'm, I haven't bet Buffalo just yet, but I'm going to bet Buffalo as long as – if it's 7, I'm going to wait to see. If, if this – I mean, how crazy does this go? Do we go to 6.5? 
I, I would much rather have six and a half than seven, but I'll at least have a seven in my uh, pocket by the time we get to kickoff. That line doesn't really make sense to me. Like they said, the inclement weather heavily favors one side over the other. I think the Bills go out and get a big-time win on Saturday night. Eagles are visiting the Chicago Bears. Eagles are nine-point favorites, total 48.5. Bears coming off of the bye. Extra time for my man Justin Fields to get yeah, rested and ready to I know ready you got his go. jersey. I know you got his jersey. <laughs> now, that is one that I probably would wear. It's the Fields, the Fields Dak jersey that we saw in that Bears-Cowboys game. I need to get one of those. My Lord. I mean, look, you know, the flu bug run through the Bears this week, and mm-hmm. it's going to be a cold one. It's going to be 28 degrees, I assume windy. You know, um, I mean, the Bears, can they – this is, you know, this is a, a game where it features two good running quarterbacks. And, you know, and, and can – the one thing I liked what the Eagles have done the last two weeks is – and they've got to do it again this week – is they have been able to get the lead play from in front 24 to 7 against the Giants you know 21 to 7 against Tennessee when they make you play one dimensional then it really becomes a problem and so i think to me i think that's that's what they've been really good they've thrown the ball to run the ball and i think you can throw it on there i was surprised this line didn't get to 10 you know at 9 at under i have it as 11.4 game i don't know if i'll play it but uh, you know, teams coming off a of bye worry me a little bit too. Do they get it right back together? You know, last week Seattle str- struggled after their bye. I mean, it mm-hmm. seems like they sh- teams. We all think they're going to play great off a of bye, but they sh- they start slower. You know, I think there's actually been some numbers that show that teams that are coming off the bye that are on the road play well, but teams that are coming off the bye that are coming off it and are playing at home. They're a little sluggish, so I don't know if there's something yeah. into that. Maybe- that was the case with Carolina and Seattle. I mean, exactly. Carolina was coming off a bye, and they played well. So, yeah. yeah, maybe it is favor the road team. So, we'll see. Yeah, that's a no bet for me. Cowboys at the Jaguars. Dallas laying four, total 48 and a half. I know the betting market uh, is intrigued by Jacksonville in this game. Michael, are you? You know, I, I, I think so. You know, look, when you go through the games, nobody's betting Dallas. As of today, 6% of the money's in on Dallas. What makes Tennessee interesting is 52% of the tickets are, are bet on Jacksonville, but they're getting mm-hmm. 88% of the money. I mean, excuse me, they're getting, they're getting 94% of the money. So oh. what I always look for in these games, Femi, is I always look for the low ticket count, high money. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, I like that combination. I like that. I like it to be like, okay, Chicago's at 39% of the tickets, but they're getting 71% of the money. That tells me... There's substantial somebody with substantial cash is playing. It doesn't tell me that the guy's a sharp or he knows what he's doing. It just tells me people are wagering higher sums, so that that kind of lets it let, allows me to see it. And this is one of those games where a lot of people are betting Jacksonville. I, I mean, I have it as a four point seven three game. It's at four and a half. It it was up to five. It ticked back down. Look, I I have a feeling. I got to figure out what Dallas is going to be like in the offensive line, but I have a feeling Mm -hmm. Dallas will play well. I think you could throw the ball in Jacksonville. I think Dallas will. Same here. Uh, I haven't bet it yet, but I'm probably going to bet Dallas in this game. Jacksonville, they've been doing this Jekyll and Hyde thing all season long, so I'm going to see if they can actually prove it back to back It's four across the board everywhere here. Yep. Femi? That's all fours. DraftKings in New Jersey's at four. So, you know, I mean, look – I think they'll put pressure on Lawrence. And and if Lawrence Mm -hmm. gets under pressure, I think they could make it hard for him. Yeah, Jacksonville, they've kind of roped people in with some big-time performances. They roped me in for that Detroit game. They laid a stinker in that one, and then everyone was all out on them. Then they beat the Tennessee Titans. Now they're roping people back in, 
And I think that this line would probably be six if Dallas wasn't really playing with their food against Houston. So I like Dallas in that game. The game that I'm most looking forward to, Michael, on Sunday, believe it or not, the Detroit Lions against the New York Jets. This is going to be an absolute war. Right now, the Jets, one-point favorites, total 44-and-a-half. Quinnen Williams, his status, I think, is going to be a very, very big deal because he's been playing like the best defensive tackle in football. And how how healthy is Mike White? You know, like how about if he takes mm-hmm. another shot? I mean, I'm sure his ribs are, you know, are kind of I don't say they're broken, but I'm sure they're battered and bruised. Mm-hmm. You know, this is another game that I think we have a lot of these games: Vegas Patriots, Detroit Jets, right? The Arizona Denver game. That these are kind of games that are falling below the three number that are almost like you get to pick them and who's going to win. Just deciding who's going to win can help you here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I I ran my numbers this week, and I was shocked. I was completely shocked how much improvement Detroit has have seen on defense. I really was. They've played well the last five weeks. Their defense, they're rushing the passer at a higher level. You know, and look, I was impressed with Mike White last week, his toughness. This would be a hard game for the Jets. I think I think this, unless Goff reverts back to the Goff who doesn't like the cold, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think Detroit's playing really well right now. Yeah, I think I think Detroit wins the game, and it's another uh, resume builder for my man, Coach of the Year, Dan Campbell. We'll see if he can oh, uh, get God. that going. <laughs> Patriots. Thank God I found out he was kidding about that. He didn't see the play. <laughs> yeah. Like, thank God I found that. I was like, going to go berserk. Are you kidding me? But you know, he's. Yeah. I, I got the sense after reading some more on it, he was kidding. Yeah, who's was playing it up on that show? Patriots are here in town, taking on the Las Vegas Raiders. New England one point road favorites. Total forty four and a half. Student versus the teacher. That's the storyline all week, Michael, with Belichick and McDaniel's. Yeah, I mean, McDaniel's beat him when he was at Denver the last time when yeah. he was the head coach at Denver. Uh, look, I, I, a lot of this is going to come down to can the Raiders – the Raiders have got to protect. They'll throw the ball on them if they protect. And can the Raiders stop the run game? You know, if the Raiders stop the run game and make it harder for the Patriots to throw it, I think the Patriots' tackles will have a hard time blocking the two outside rushers. So, you know, this is a game to me it's, – it's, you know, obviously my son's on the Vegas. I, I'm a New England fan, have one there, haven't worked there. So it's kind of a, a hard game. I'll root for the family. But mm-hmm. to me, it's a toss-up. I was going to ask, were you going to get one of those split jerseys? You get a Raiders and a Patriots? I can't. I mean, I I can't. You know what's going to happen to me tomorrow? Russo's going to pick one of the teams, right? Just to piss you off? And just to piss me off, yeah. <laughs> it's a no bet for me in this game. I think it's a coin flip either way. Uh, ex- I think they're expecting Waller and Renfro back. At least they've been designated to they're return pr- yeah, from the IR. I think that's right. I think, they'll, you know, they, look, they need them. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they need him, and especially if if Bill does what typically Bill does, which is double Devontae and then put his best corner over on Mac Collins. If he does that game plan, it'll be hard. But the Raiders can run the ball. And look, the one thing that makes this game interesting is McDan- the the Patriots. If you watched them Monday night, you can get three and four yard runs on them, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're they're, but you got to be able to execute ten play drives down the field to beat them. And McDaniels is very good at calling games and executing in those 10-play drives. Bengals at the Buccaneers. This is going to be a really fun one. Cincinnati laying three and a half at Raymond James. Total 44. Oh, you think it's too small? Well, I think this is a lot of influence by by the Brady factor, right? Yeah. I mean, I think this is all the Brady factor because, like, if you just look at the two teams, how they're playing, it's not close how they're playing, right? It's not even close. So, you know, and I mean, the, the the Bengals, now they won't have Tyler Boyd, 
But, boy, they can run They can run it. They can throw it the way San Francisco moved the ball up and down the field. I know this is a last-stand game for Tampa, mm-hmm. but I have this as a 5.78 game. I know it's I, – I, I would probably lean towards not playing it. But, look, Tampa Bay's got 26% of the tickets written on them. They got 49% of the money. It's an ugly one, but I bet Tampa, Michael. Uh, and maybe I'm going to re- maybe I'm going to regret it when uh, we're about 30 minutes into the game. I'm hoping not, but the Brady factor it sucked me, and I'm like, this guy, Tom Brady. How many times have we seen him do it? Getting points at home. I think they have one last stand in them. This Bucks team. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and bet this team and hope to God that they stay competitive in this game. <laughs> you know, c- take a guess. Take a guess what the most bet game is. Not counting tonight's game. Take a guess what the most bet game is so far on the slate. The most bet game on the slate, I would say, gosh, maybe, I don't think it's Dallas-Jacksonville. I know Cowboys games usually do a lot of numbers here. Dolphins-Bills, maybe? Indianapolis-Minnesota. Are you serious? (laughs) Yep. Indianapolis has has only 37% of the tickets written up on them. They've got 80% of the money, and the line has stayed static at four. You know what? For thought, Femi. That actually makes a lot of sense, though, because betters are going to bet the most recent game, and then they're going to try to roll those winnings over to the next one and roll it over. So I guess that does make sense that outside of Thursday night football, that is the most recent game that we will get. Finally, Michael, let's get to Sunday night football. Giants, Commanders, massive game for the NFC wildcard race. Commanders, four and a half point favorites. Chase Young, we're expecting to be back on Sunday night football total at 40 and a half. Look, I think that I like the Giants here. I, I do. I think the number, you know, I have this number. It should be two point six three. I think you're getting five with the Giants. The Giants are laying five. I don't think that. I mean, excuse me. The the Washington Camp Commanders are laying five. I don't think they're five points better than most teams. So, you know, I think that number's coming back. DraftKings here in New Jersey has it at four and a half. There's mm-hmm. still some five out there. I think it'll be a close game. Look, the Giants had a chance to beat them last time. Barkley's healthy. I think the Giants have a chance to kind of get to them. Plus, they're coming off a bye. Yeah, I, I want to see if Leonard Williams and Adoree Jackson, if those guys can get into this game and be healthy because that's what kind of screwed me up with the Eagles game last week. I didn't know Leonard Williams was going to be out. I bet them the Eagles just trucked them You didn't listen to our field. show. We didn't yeah. listen to the show. Patrick and I had that. I know, you I didn't sh- listen to our show. I got up too late. I was at a holiday party this past Saturday. Of course. So. You're <laughs> celebrating Tua's game. on your, Everybody had all your Tua fans over there for the night game. Yeah, I know. <laughs> let me see here. Uh, let me see. <laughs> last I saw was uh, Williams, I think, was limited and practiced on, on Wednesday. So <laughs> I, My understanding is I think they'll get him to I, – I know they're going to have Barkley's at full strength. Yeah, Barkley's right? good to go. Yeah, he's good to go. Barkley's at full strength. So I, I, I think Leonard Williams, if he's limited, and I think he'll go. I don't know about Adoree Jackson. He, he didn't practice yesterday, so I doubt if he's going – yeah. Dexter Lawrence. The other one you got to worry about is Dexter Lawrence. They rested him, but he's got to be healthy for them to win. Yeah, if he if he's good to go and Leonard Williams is good to go, I think I like the Giants in this game here. Uh, there are two, two. These two teams can't run away from each other. We saw that they tied a couple weeks ago in the Meadowlands. But all right, Michael, that does it for this week's edition of the podcast. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to Veasan. Thank you to our producer Elliot Bowman on the ones and twos. And thank you to you, Michael. I will talk to you. On Monday, uh, as we recap uh, a busy week I will talk to you 15. Saturday night when you're celebrating Tua throwing into that wind. I might be too deep into the eggnog by that yeah, point. Tweet, tweet some of those throws, please. I, I'm not. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we'll see you later, Michael.